Support is provided in part by Conway Shield. Those who answer the call and risk it all for the safety and well-being of others deserve someone willing to give their all in return. Conway Shield is built on the shoulders of three service legacies. Customizing the nation's very best firefighting shields has expanded to providing the most effective technology, tools, and training for today's fire and law leaders. Learn more at ConwayShield.com. You're listening to the Leadership Under Fire, Humanizing the Narrative podcast. I'm your host, Patty Murphy. In episode number 10 of this podcast, we featured FDNY firefighter and LUF human performance advisor, James Lopez. During the episode, we discussed many timeless topics related to physical and tactical fitness, as well as enjoyment and quality of life. It's hard to comprehend how much has transpired since our previous conversation in 2019 to include a global pandemic, civil unrest, and war on the European continent. But Lopez is back in this episode to share how some of his practices and philosophies have evolved and how some have stood the test of time. Lopez joined the FDNY in 1997 and has served as an FDNY firefighter in Rescue Company 2 for nearly 20 years. He's a contributor to the FDNY's Mental Performance Initiative and other LUF human performance optimization endeavors across the country. He competed as a collegiate wrestler while attending Hunter College and holds a bachelor's degree in nutrition science from Kaplan University. He still operates a gym in Staten Island, New York, but has modified things a bit since navigating the COVID pandemic as a small business owner. And he and his wife are proud parents of two children who are now attending college. Jimmy, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. And for those listening to this episode, I just wanted to make a quick note that listening to our previous conversation obviously isn't required for this episode, but I strongly recommend tuning in or revisiting it. Much of the conversation from 2019 is what I call evergreen, but I'm super excited to build on our previous discussion, Jimmy, starting with daily routines. So what anchored you over the past four years, especially during the COVID-19 outbreak? Well, like everybody's got their personal experience and take on it outside of the, the obviously political ramifications around it, but COVID kind of made everybody take a step back. I mean, for me personally, with uh, work, with um, running my gym, I had a very, very hectic, very busy schedule and COVID kind of shut that all down. So basically, it was weird, man, because in one aspect, I was losing the gym that I had run for approximately nine or 10 years at that time. But on the other side of that, it slowed my life down a little bit, right? So I was able to spend more time at home. And then as COVID really ramped up and my kids were home, I just had a lot of time, a lot of family time. As much as it sucked, there was a silver lining in there and that as a family, we got to spend a lot of time together. So that was a positive from it. But everything else about it, I hated like most people. At work with the fire department, I'll be honest, nothing really changed for us except right. we operated a status quo. We kind of stayed the course and did what we always do. But getting back to your question with routines is COVID kind of like shut down what a lot of people were doing. Like if your schedule was to get up and go to the gym, you lost that. So now you had to find something new to do. And uh, with me and my health, I'm always kind of like with everybody, like anything that's important in your life, you got to be educated on it. And the more educated you get on something, the smarter or the better perspective you have on it. So what became a big part of my routine was morning walks now because there really wasn't much more to do. So Clove Lakes, you're very familiar with Clove Lakes. I'd be over there, I'd throw my headphones on, I'd walk two, two or three hours, throw a podcast on. And that became my morning ritual just to get out and move. And in doing so, not only am I getting out and moving, but I'm getting that morning sunlight, which they say is really good for your circadian rhythm. It's just being out in nature, which they say we should spend X amount of time a week out in nature. It just grounds us. So uh, it made me kind of think about development routine for your health. I did luckily 
have a setup in my garage. I was transitioning that prior to COVID happening. It was more going to be my daughter's dance studio, but then it became our exercise studio. And as COVID progressed and my son had no activities in school, I became like gym teacher for him, you know? And uh, we spent a lot of time together. Uh, hopefully he'll look back on it one day and appreciate it. I'm sure I was a pain in the ass on some days and insisting that we do things. And, uh, but I was scrolling through my phone the other day and looking at older videos of his workouts and there was good and bad during it for me. From a family perspective, I had some good moments, even though from a professional perspective and from the community perspective, there was a lot of negativity. I appreciate all of that. Thank you so much. Some of the key words that I jotted down as you were speaking in terms of routines and principles to follow, I wrote down family, relationships, mission, movement, nature, sunlight. Can you unpack more some of the key principles you follow when it comes to routines? So like anything that I do, like I'm a fireman first. So most people on Leash Bunk Fire are fire, police, military. Uh, I know sometimes we do have people who are experts in their field and have researched and published books, but most of us haven't, you know? So like I, I rely on learning information from someone else and then applying it. Uh, so as I dive more into routine and once you become aware of yourself, you start seeing it more. Like you start seeing it more, maybe on social media, but there seem to be like a lot of routine topics or daily routine topics that were popping up on social media. So for me, I kind of started to look at which ones are repeating themselves a lot. Like whether I'm looking at Peter Tia, you know, from the Drive podcast and what right. he would talk about for routine or Angie Huberman, another person I like to listen to, what he's talking about routine. They tend to like, if it's an important topic, a lot of people are talking about it. And then when you go to a lot of these people, you start to see overlap. And then on that overlap is where I want to dive in. And where well, what overlap connects to me? Right. You know? So now what I'm going to say is like, if you don't have a routine, what are you relying on to achieve success? If you look at Fader and the book, and it's skipping my mind right now. Um, life is sport. Life is sport. He talks about routine quite a bit in success with performance, right? But expanding that to your life and what what is your daily routine in your life? Like, what are you falling on as the principles, let's say, of your day, right? This is a really nice segue into my next question, which was really centered on the market being saturated with a lot of surface level products and practices and promises to optimize performance with little effort. So how do you sift through the nonsense and apply what is truly beneficial to performance and well-being? It's not like what I was just saying is that I look at people who I think are really educated on it, really smart on it, and look at what they're saying. I don't look for anything that's going to be a quick fix, you know, like something that's going to promise something for nothing because that doesn't exist. It doesn't really exist in life. You know, you got to earn things. Uh, so if, if you're, you know, talking about taking a uh, product to increase your testosterone, it's going to make you young and it's going to give you, like to me, that's just a cheat. It's a hack. Uh, so I'm not interested in that. I wouldn't even consider that. For me, as far as like, let's say supplementation, I'm going to kind of rely on what's been around forever. Like vitamins have been around forever, you know, uh, things like a hydration. Uh, and that's part of my routine, routine supplementation. That we know that's, that's, that's been around. Studies have been done. They know it's beneficial and works. I'm not looking to cheat something and I'm not looking for something that promises something for nothing. And that's kind of how I screen it. Um, I'm really not, as far as supplementation, I'm not really looking to hack much. I'm looking to keep my body moving for as long as I can at an appropriate level of performance for the age I am. If I'm 54 and I set my PR at 54, then that's my PR at 54. I'm not going to compare it to 24. It's not fair. I'm a different person, different body. So, um, a lot of it is just looking at where I am now and how what's being said affects my life now. If I was 20, I didn't care about sleep. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't talked about, but I didn't care about it. You know, you just yawn, it didn't matter. 
when your body was young and resilient, you can get away with so much, so much stuff mm-hmm. that you just can't get away with now. So if you don't have some type of structure in your re- or some type of routine that you're trying to follow or you're trying to outline, then you're kind of like just waving in the wind. And you do this one day, that the other day, and you have no systematic approach. So how are you going to, what system are you going to use to approach to, to improve or give your body the best chance at obtaining health? And, uh, you know, I, I know I, I sometimes I, I veer away, but that's kind of my thinking on it. You know, when I was a young trainer in Manhattan before the fire department, I was still in school. And, you know, I used to work at a private one-on-one gym down in Soho. And uh, that's how I got into training. And my the clients that I really, really appreciated were the professionals in their 40s, late 40s, early 50s. Because they, to me at the time, now at the time, I'm like 22, 23. So they just seemed to me like there was just, just a focused a focused group. You know, they had their profession squared away. They were disciplined in their training. And they just weren't wasting time. And I always loved working with them and appreciating the challenges they would face from as a young trainer. You know what I'm saying? Like I knew I couldn't train them like I would train someone in their twenties. So I always understood that concept. Uh, And then ironically, that's the clientele that I'm working with now. And that I really enjoy working with now. Uh, It's understanding where they're at and what they're looking for. I think that we're always kind of training or we're always trying to live for our next decade. You know, like what you're doing now is going to show in 10 years. You know, I saw you a couple weeks ago on Forest Avenue and I was going to a wake and there was a guy I worked with dad and uh, there was a couple of guys there. One was 86 years old and it was his uncle. He still practices martial arts. He was walking around looking like he's in his late 60s, but he earned that, you know, like he earned that his whole life. Then I met another friend's father and these are like grammar school friends. I've known these people forever and his dad's a Tired highway cop and he's like 84 and the guy looked tremendous he trains every day i started talking to him about it i used to stay like this every day jim every day i do something every day i do something you know they're earning it and it's just you know i'm at a wake for someone dying and i'm seeing older people and you see some older people that look frail and they've lost their muscle tone but they really didn't have much muscle tone to start with uh and then you see some people that are kind of mastering it and staying active and it just reinforced the importance of earning it. Like every decade, you got to earn it. It's those next 10 years you're training for. And it's like, I've gone been to like a couple wakes and funerals and you see life ends and it's quick. And it, you know, the older you get, the faster it, you start tumbling through this space and it can be your career and you can expand up to your life and you watch your kids grow up. And it's like, as you start, like I said, I'm 54, I'm in my mid fifties and I see peers that, just didn't take care of themselves and and they look 10, 15 years older than, you know, it's chasing those small things your entire life. You know, like it's so easy today when you see fitness and you think about fitness, you see like these, um, I guess you'd call them influencers that are super stoked, super jacked, hyper mobile. You know, I'm not chasing that. That doesn't guarantee a productive, healthy life for me. I, I want those small victories. Like I love when Atia says that like he wants to be able to pick his grandchildren up and lift them over his head. Right. So he does something. You know, like downstream, like where do you want to be? And unfortunately, like we all have people in our family that maybe at some point they were fit, you know, and they did the right thing and they lost it somewhere and they're a shell of the person they were, you know? And then if you want to connect the importance of your brain, like your brain just demands and needs movement and exercise. And it not only keeps your muscles strong, but it keeps your brain strong. It's like our only tool that you can't buy. You got to earn it. And if you're someone that's 60 and still move well and and do everything, like, like what's that worth? Like you can't put a money on that or, or a number on that. And it's entirely up to you. But again, like, this last little thing I'm talking about is you don't have to be the guy that takes a shirt off and he's got a six pack. You know, I'm not talking about I mean, that extreme, but it, you do need to be that person that has a plan that's going to chase it weekly. And if shit happens once in a while and you get distracted, don't veer too far and get back on track because that's life and get to the end of the game in, in, in the shape and condition you want to be in, you know? Yeah. I'm so in agreement with you here. And I'm going to share that one of the, areas of my life that I put attention on 
this past year was my evening routine. I think the night routine is where it's at more so than the morning routine. So I agree. I know that you've changed your position over the course of your lifetime on sleep or better yet sleep hygiene. So do you mind if we unpack your journey and what made you look at sleep more intentionally? Again, like I know there's a, an age gap between us, but really when you were younger, like sleep wasn't important. Whoever talked about it, you know, it was just like, besides almost being a punishment when you're a kid, like go to bed, like it was no, never prioritized. Right. And I'm like, recovery is going to really start with sleep. You know, we can't talk about recovery if we're not talking about how you sleep, you know, and uh, how we sleep by, is it? Matt Walker. Matt, Matt Walker. That's the book I picked up. I'm on other, but that was the one that really hit home with me. That did. To me, it was just an excellent book. And then there was a couple of other things that I read. And then I started diving into it and, you know, picked up my whoop, which is going to kind of uh, record your recovery, which is really based on stress and sleep and how well you're sleeping now i can quantify it for myself you know and i i think that's a really important thing with fitness like you can quantify your weight by stepping on a scale you can't really quantify your sleep by just giving me an answer right like i can get up have a cup of coffee and and kind of i'm i'm good but if i can put a number on it and that's what the whoop to me is really good for it puts a number on how well you slept and sometimes it's an eye opener right and uh like you said, you're just not going to go to bed and you, you've you got to make it a priority. You got to prioritize sleep. And how, how many people can honestly say they do that? But the ironic thing is when you look at really, really high performers in business, not just in sport, but in business, they prioritize. You know, like you've heard me talk about like Thomas Edison would nap multiple times a day. He's a known napper. And he had that little thing that he kept in our an iron ball in his hand and his hand was over a plate and there's a statue of him with the ball in his hand. And when he would nap and doze off into a deep nap and his hand relaxed, the ball dropped and woke him up. And ironically with him and, and whether it's true or not, I did read it. He would have uh, somebody there like a, an associate or a helper because he would rattle off ideas. Like he would get ideas from that and he would rattle them off because his brain was the most creative, you know, but Getting back to your question is like my wife and I have the same wake up time. It's pretty early, about ten to five, five. So now we're finally on the same page where we don't go too much into the Netflix uh, black hole, where you just sit on the couch and you watch stupid stuff and you're dozing anyway. Mm-hmm. It's it's nine thirty. Hey, I'm going to bed. Right, you know, it's just and I sound like a kid, but when I'm not working, I'll be in bed nine thirty, nine forty five. There's some hacks for it, like trying to sauna later in the day they say we'll improve your sleep or maybe a nice warm shower shortly before going to sleep because the body temperature is going to drop and it helps you fall asleep or a nice cold room trying to keep your phone out of your bed you know like that interrupts your your falling asleep that that light you know and the distraction of it but i've noticed an improvement with two things with that and uh the sauna helps me a lot Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily get to do it before bags. I don't have one home. So but when I'm doing a sauna uh, during the week, it has an impact on like my heart rate variability for some reason, now, whether it be coincidence, but I do see a positive improvement in it when I'm doing using the sauna consistently. And so that, that's pretty much it. I try to be very comfortable. I try to get to bed early. I prioritize it. I know the importance of it and I'm pursuing it. You know, it's like, like, I guess it's your question on supplements and stuff. If you're waiting for the Amazon delivery man to give you a box and in that box is everything you need to be healthy, you're going to be waiting a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, just not, I'm sure like they always say, like if they can put exercise in the pill, it'd be the most addictive pill on the planet. But uh, your, your body is your body and it's your body for your lifetime. The more or the sooner you realize that this is a vessel that you've got to take care of the more beneficial it'll be for you down the road. And mother nature took a, let's say we have a 24 hour day. Mother nature said, Hey man, I want you sleeping a third of it. So that's pretty important. And, and, you know, they tie in so many brain issues and diseases to a lack of sleep. Uh, 
decrease in, in testosterone, you decrease in your cardiovascular fitness when you have poor sleep, your insulin levels get affected by poor sleep. I mean, it's a pretty impactful thing in your body. I know that when I started designing my evening routine and setting up all these different cues to help me get better sleep, I'm doing so in a very controlled environment. So what are some of the common challenges or pitfalls that those in the first responder community face when it comes to sleep and how can they overcome that? Well, obviously we all know that uh, when you're doing shift work, you don't have a lot of control over your rest intervals or things of that nature. But if you look at a firehouse, right, you go into any firehouse, probably in the country, there's a coffee machine, right? So guys are drinking coffee throughout the day. Me personally, I try to have just a cup in the morning. That's it. That's what I've gotten down to. But I, I work with guys that will have three, four, or five cups after six. You know, and these these energy drinks, like, see, you know, I don't want to say specific ones, but there's plenty of them out there. Guys are drinking them like water in a firehouse, you mm -hmm. know, just to, to, to wake up. But my thing is that I've got zero control over a lot of things when I go to work. I can't really focus on creating a good environment there because it's out of my hands, which is all the more reason why I need a really good routine on the days that I'm off because I know the days that I'm working and I have limited control. But I would say like, and the reason I bring up coffee is if guys are drinking coffee or those energy drinks at work, they become addictive. So they're probably doing it at home. Uh, that, that will impact your sleep. That's to some degree. Um, so, when you step into a firehouse, it's like you're buzzed. Like you, you know, you're not home and you know, you're, you're in the garage and you're going to be waiting for something bad to happen. And it can be any moment. So you're elevated as it is. It's uh very disruptive to your sleep. Uh, and it can be a little habit forming, you know, like you spend 20 years, 30 years of two to three nights a week being up most of the night. Like you just don't go home. Like, Again, all the reason why you need to work on that routine at home and uh, be purposeful with it. Uh, it's certainly a challenge. Yeah. I know that you've even explored dreaming. So dreaming, like I, I, I don't use it like I try to like figure out what my dreams mean. I know, and again, I'm looking at my data, that when I remember my dreams, my sleep score is usually pretty good. Like how many times you go to bed, especially when you're really exhausted and you have a really messed up schedule, you don't even remember having a dream and dream is part of that REM sleep, right? And just part of that, you know, if you just break that sleep cycle, which we go through many of them through the night, if you just break it down to deep sleep and REM sleep, and I'm sure there's some light sleep in there, but those are the two big ones, you know, deep sleep, your brain gets kind of cleaned, um, the metabolic waste kind of gets cleaned. You have like a hormonal release to try to heal the body. And then REM sleep is more where you got like that creative side of your sleep where memories are being connected, mm -hmm. moved around. I just know that when I do sleep, when I when I sleep and wake up and I can remember these vivid dreams, I know I got good sleep last night. And then I look at my my whoop and I'm like, yeah, I, was, I had some really good REM sleep last night or deep sleep. You know, that's just how I look at that. I don't try to decipher them. It's just, a, it's a good indicator to me that, that I slept well. You mentioned giving yourself grace. If you have external factors impacting the way that you can approach rest, recovery, and sleep. If there's one piece of advice though, you can give regarding sleep or having a healthier relationship with sleep, what would it be? Just that you, you've got to prioritize it and you can keep pushing it down the road but eventually you got to address it. Eventually you're going to have to deal with it. I always think that if I, if I look at sleep, let's say I put that in with like breath work and stuff. Sometimes like the basic things that we do are taken for granted, you know, and people want to focus on like the more romantic things. It's sometimes it's just sticking to the basics that are going to give you that good health. You know, it's not found in the craziness that you're chasing. Mm -hmm. I've heard the statement, if you want to know how someone is doing, just ask them how they're sleeping. Mm -hmm. If they're sleeping well, they're doing well. 
you know, wrestling, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I, I would say prioritize it, learn about it. And today is just so easy to learn about things. If you're not a reader, everybody drives, throw a podcast on and just get a subject and like get, get, listen to Matthew Walk talk about it. And like have those Eureka moments when it's like, wow, I can relate to that. You know, that would be it for me just to, just to, you can't like, you know, scold people about it, but educate people about it. Like I, my kids know about it. There's books out there for sleep that are, are kid versions and I've had them read it when they were little. So they understand it. And ironically, you know, my daughter's a dancer, George Mason, they're wearing things on their wrist to monitor their sleep right now. Like it's a study they're doing. But Anna's like sitting in and she's, I said, you've heard this all before. You know, you, you know this, you know, so it's, it's interesting. I mean, I can't imagine if I had that body of knowledge at that age, what a difference it would have made in my life. Coming from my background in the news, I have so many friends who did shift work, obviously, you know, doing the overnight or the early morning shift. You have to be in at 2 a.m. to start the 5 a.m. morning show. And they did that for 20 years. And the other thing I just wanted to contribute to this conversation is like, you can't fix it overnight. If it's been broken for a long time, back to those routines and that consistency that we were talking about, you have to give yourself grace and time to actually see the results. Yeah, and and according to the CDC, like shift work is considered like a carcinogen, mm. like overnight work. And like it's a known fact, but it's not gonna fix itself overnight and you've gotta pursue it. I think I know the answer to this question, but I wanna ask it anyway. How has your view on rest and recovery evolved over the years? I've always been like progressive with it. Like I've always valued the importance of it because of like I, I talked about earlier, like I used to train in older clientele when I was younger. When I decided to pursue training again, because I was doing it before the fire department, I just started educating myself about on it. And, you know, I hit guys like Steve Maxwell and, they made a very big deal about it, of mobility work, recovery work. Uh, and I always had the opportunity to take that stuff and experiment it and introduce it to, to my clientele. However, I'll say that at 54, the words I was saying at 44 have a different meaning now. Although I knew it was important then, the one thing that I realized in, in let's say, fitness or if you're talking to people of different decades or different generations, if I'm talking to someone that's 30 and I'm trying to talk to them about recovery and longevity, they have a hard time grasping that concept because it's not something that's really on their radar yet. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't have to really worry about that yet. Right. So uh, I remember Maxwell make the same statement that, how you're going to approach your life, like with the intensity of your training and what you're going to do is going to impact it on one end. Well, it could be shorten it, you know, uh, and if you're okay with that, then that's fine. But uh, our body is not limitless in what it can do from an orthopedic cost. I've always appreciated it. And now that I'm older, I'm living it. I would teach it, but it wasn't really impacting me at that moment. You know, I saw Danny Murphy at, at 9-11 Rescue 2, and he's, he's one of my mentors, somebody I've looked up to my whole career. And uh, Danny and I had a locker next to each other. He was a lieutenant. He was about 12 years older than me. And we, Danny was always into being progressive with his health and fitness and, and doing what he needed to do to be ready for operations and on, on the fire floor or whatever else we were called to do. And uh, sometimes he'd tell me something and in my mind, I'd want to argue with him. You know, like his doctor's telling him he can't, you shouldn't be getting his heart rate up above, let's say this. And in my mind, I'm like, no, but you know, you can push. But you know, we were 12 years apart. And I told him the other day, I'm like, damn, I finally caught up to you. Mm -hmm. All those conversations that we had, I'm living them now, you know? And it's like, now like, I, I can remember him fighting to keep his weight down, you know? And then you, you hit a certain point and mother nature, like just slows your metabolism down a little bit. And, you know, what you used to do to drop a couple of pounds just doesn't work anymore. It's almost like cruel, right? Like mm -hmm. you go through 
or segment of your life and you feel so strong and you can do anything and then slowly it starts getting taken away from you you know uh, and then you got to kind of adapt your training to that and adapt to that i just really seeing the importance of it but the bottom line is that i'm at the end of my career you know i mean i have a year or two left who knows you know so i'm at 27 years in january i've, I've made it through my career uh for the most part knock on wood but uh it's worked for me you know it, it's it's kept me able to uh you know placing a priority on it with me and when i was younger and i was leading the class i would always do it with them I would always do the warm up with them, do the mobility work with them to demo it, you know? So I'm doing it multiple times a day and uh, it's paid off for me. I don't have too many issues that I can complain about at this point, you know, because of that. That's excellent. It's funny or ironic that when things start to slow down as you get older, you start to feel that sense of urgency. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Patty, like, and I think runners, are really guilty of this like i'm talking about life you know the population of lifelong runners like the ones that are really addicted to getting out hitting the pavement and um you know i i love the term orthopedic cost like what's the orthopedic cost of what you're doing on your body i heard it when mike boyle uh he's just not the condition coach up in boston i've heard him use the term i don't know if he made it up but it just makes so much sense like if you want to be a downhill mountain trail racer you know like a trail runner running downhill mountains i'm just using that as an example and you want to do that for 10 years good luck but you probably won't have any knees at the end of it just you know what i'm saying like so you see some people that just can't let go of the way they train and it's a smaller population and usually it's people trying to be high performers they did just running in a direction that they're going to pay for it at some point. Like at some point, like they say, you got to listen to the body when it whispers, because when it starts screaming, you can't ignore it. For me, like now I'm, I'll run, but it's not a, my, my go-to aerobic movement. Like I'll bike a lot because I know it's an easier movement. I can still get my heart rate up. I can maintain it. You know, like it's, it's more accessible at times, but um, if the mentality was like, I got to do this, I got to push, 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 push. Eventually, the body says, I can't do it anymore. Uh, so that's a whole mentality issue. Right. Um, and it's just you know, kind of like accepting who you are at the current point in your life, physically and mentally, you know? And and for me, like, um, one of the senior guys on Rescue 2, and we got a guy with nine years coming into the company, let's say, that might be 33 or 34, 20 years younger than me. Like, if I think that I can physically keep up with that person I'm just kidding myself you know like I can't compete with that what I have to do is use like let's say my experience or my leadership to keep us on a level playing field you know mm -hmm. uh but you you've got to just accept where you are you know at, at at your current state and it's it's not good or bad or different it just is what it is whether you like it or don't like it the reality is still a reality there's so much more to unpack about your current stage of your career. Before we dive into that, there were a couple other topics I wanted to talk to you about. One of them being that in recent years, several members of the Leadership Under Fire team have shared that they've changed or reset their relationship with alcohol. And I know it's a bold statement and action given how much alcohol is woven into the social fabric of the fire service and really generally in day-to-day -day society. As we've seen people's behaviors change or evolve regarding sleep and recovery, do you notice or foresee any behavior shifts with alcohol and what would the benefits to that be? I'll just speak from a personal perspective. Like most people, that are in professions that are intense and have a little bit of adrenaline, like they tend to have certain personalities. So when I do let myself go, and especially when I was younger, I was not like, you know, I could be a little bit of a pain in the ass to be around. I would always take it too far or whatever. But at this point, and a lot of it is coming from the data I'm getting off my whoop, is that if I have two or three beers, and it could be like six o'clock at night, just with dinner. And I go to bed at 9.30. My recovery score is so horrible. It's having a detrimental impact on my health. So 
I'm like selfish with that now. Like, I don't want to waste another day. Now, I'm not saying I'm not an angel. I'm not perfect. I'm sure I'll have a, at some point in the future, I'm going to have, you know, one too many. And, but I really do kind of limit it. And uh, I don't drink at home. I will have something with my wife here and there. And, and one of the things they'll say is they'll have them a little earlier so the alcohol can get processed by the time you go to bed. Because when that alcohol is in your body, it's impacting your ability to sleep and your ability to drink. It has to be like worked out before you can really enter that REM sleep. I look at it really more from a selfish perspective that I don't want to give up any more time mm-hmm. because of that. I've taken some of my whoop slides, right? I've, I've taken screenshots and I'll, I'll show like a night of uh, a real busy night where we hit a couple of fires and look at my uh, rest and heart rate and uh, my recovery score. And then I'll take a shot of uh, a night where maybe I partook in too many drinks. And then I put them side by side and the scores look the same. And one, I was in bed at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock and one, I was running all night. And the recovery scores are the same. The rest and heart rate is elevated on both. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and if you start looking at it from that, well, do you want to voluntarily put your body through that stress more than you need to? Like, I, my answer is no. And again, I just listened to a blurb from uh, Peter Atier on social media saying there's really no excuse to have more than two drinks. You know, that's how he defined it, you know? And then there's another thing I just saw yesterday from a neurosurgeon, like the four things that he wouldn't do after being a neurosurgeon for X amount of years. And one is becoming excessively drunk because what it does to your brain. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, again, if you tell, if you told your 21-year-old self that, they'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know? Right. Because, you know, it's just the way younger people are, but I've changed my perspective on it, you know, but I'm also in a place where we don't do a whole lot socially. So it's, it's <laughs> not, you know, I, it's easy for me to stay away from it. But I am looking at it from a different perspective and I'm seeing a lot of younger people join this sober curious movement. And I think because there's so much information more readily available today than there was when we were 21 years old. Definitely. I think there is going to be a shift in the future. Well, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly hope so. It is damaging to your uh, health. Um, it's it's a way of blowing off steam. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I kind of learned that a number of years ago when I kind of figured out why I go crazy is because, let's say, I let my that emotional like bowl fill up too much. Mm-hmm. And it, that's the way I dumped it, you know? Right. And, it, and I would just wait for it to build back up again. And because I was never, I'm, I'm, I've never, me personally, would, would, would drink. I never, I was never a week to week drinker. It's point to point. Like I hear it and maybe be six months later or four months later. It's like, you know what I'm saying? There's no rhyme or reason for me. It wasn't like I need, I didn't do it on a daily basis, probably because you train and stuff. Well, you still own and operate a gym on Staten Island. Although you've implemented major changes since the last time we spoke on the podcast, can you share how you navigated the challenges of being a small business owner in New York City during the COVID-19 pandemic when restrictions and mandates were abundant? Well, I got crushed. Like there was really nothing you can do. Like it was, it was done. And I was resigned to just, okay, Ram, I had a good run. It's over. But I had a unique situation where my space is with a guy named Mike Cadella, who's a retired sergeant or retired detective from NYPD. Mike's a black belt under Henzo Gracie. And so I use space with him. And uh, when he opened back up, he was gracious enough to let me come back on a limited schedule that I could do. It's it's very limited right now. Honestly, it's like the people that come are great people and it's a good environment and it's a good uh, good atmosphere. And that's what makes it uh, work doing, you know, but they're all older, you know, like, I don't think I have anybody there in like their, their 20s. And uh, my philosophy is my philosophy. And it's not about competing when we train. It's about supporting each other. You know, the reality of movement is you have to train the movements that you want to sustain in order to sustain them. So if you're not doing things that are not out of the ordinary. Like, you know, in other words, if you sit on a machine and push in a certain plane, it makes you strong on that one plane. But 
like we'll put more priority on the quality of the squat and depth of the squat rather than what's on the weight bar. And everything that I learned, I kind of implemented in that. So it's like, I'm not an originator. I just kind of like take good information from really smart people and try to implement that into my clientele. Um, COVID was pretty tough on small businesses and and we've seen that and a lot of them didn't come back and people changed the way they were training and over two or three years, people changed their habits. And my one approach would be if somebody did come back and be like, listen, man, you're starting at zero again. Like there's no pressure here. Let's just take our time. Let's move well and let's slowly build up, up, up your strength and you know, your stamina. Uh, you can't jump back into it like you did two years ago, three years ago when you're able to push, you know, and just being patient. You got to look at training as the long haul, unless you're competing and you have a specific goal to peak at a specific time for a specific competition. You don't need that approach in training as you enter your later, de you know, later decades. And I think what happens is people can't let go of that. Most of us learned how to exercise in competitive sports. You know, like I was a wrestler and I was introduced to training through wrestling and that's not how you're going to train for the rest of your life. But in your mind, that's your standard. You know, like that's your standard for your training. And anything below that intensity, sometimes it's hard to accept. But it's, it's restructuring how you look at it and restructuring what you can accept for yourself. I, I know it's a little bushy, but it, it's just a reality. You can kid yourself, but at some point, your body's always going to remind you. You have mileage on your joints. You can't treat them like you don't have an end date because mm -hmm. you do. You know, you, your joints aren't, you know, knees get replaced, hips get replaced because they get worn out. So uh, I, I just kind of bring my philosophy with them. It's it's a very, you know, supportive environment and it's about improvement. Yeah. It's the it's like the first day of the rest of your life every day, right? It's the best you're going to be and it's the worst you're going to be. And it's, it's a matter of, of what you're going to do to improve it. You know, do you, are you going to sit down and watch Netflix for 12 hours or are you going to just take some little steps to add some things to your life? Uh, it stresses the importance of those that have lived their life a certain way and stayed active and chose and those that didn't. And I'm not taking a dig at anybody. Orthopedically, they're just not, you know, like the quality of their life just isn't there. Like, but there are little segments of people that do take the information out there and keep the quality high. I'm sure you see it, you know? I mean, you live it. I would call them kind of today, unfortunately, the outliers. You know, they're like outliers. So. Yeah, we have so much information readily available to us to give us our best lives. Yeah. It's just a matter of implementing it, which is easier said than done. But once you start doing it, what, how it, it, could you possibly go back? <laughs> is, I, I also think that people sometimes instead of looking at the next step, they want to look at the next 20 feet or 30 feet. Like yeah. they don't want to, they look at the big jump rather than just that first step in front of them. Instead of it's looking like just putting one foot in front of the other, it's like you're stepping across the Grand Canyon mm -hmm. and they, they don't want to take that chance because they don't think they can do that. And it inhibits them, you know, and it overwhelms them and stops them from moving forward. Yeah, in our previous episode, you, I think, brought up the term disease of affluence. And part of that, in my opinion, is the instant gratification that everybody's addicted to. And so it makes it very hard to make incremental changes to your life. Speaking to that, and people know that, businesses know that, and that's why these kids get addicted to the response they get on their video games, because it's immediate. And I, I we talked about this last time, but we just live in a society right now that is so easy to live in it makes you soft it's not the, the fault of the young population it's the result of technology think about the things you would have to do on a daily basis just those you know daily movements that you don't have to do anymore from a remote control on a tv from like jumping in a car and go and I, I always make bring it up at my daughter's school they have rope my daughter and my son's school because they're both there they have robots that will deliver you your food so instead of walking the quarter mile you just walk downstairs and you get 700 calories like it makes no sense to me like we're moving towards wally 
as a general population in that movie. We really are. Finally, like, they're real heavy and they're in chairs and the, the robots do everything for them, you know, which is not too unrealistic from where we're sitting. Yeah. Well, at this point, I'd like to pivot the conversation and talk about something that I mentioned in the intro, which is that you've served the FDNY since 1997 and are now considered a senior member in Rescue Company 2 in Brooklyn, the same firehouse where your father worked. So how does it feel to be at this stage of your career? It's it's kind of like surreal because like in the beginning, it just moves so slow and then it just speeds up. And then before you know it, you look around and there's nobody left that came there with you, you know? Uh, you know, a lot goes into that. Like we talk about, like, I've had a lot of friends that have that have been injured and their careers were cut short. Uh, so there's a little bit of luck to get into this point, but there's a lot of, um, in other words, you can do everything right and still have a mishap and, and not reach this point in your career. I've been fortunate with that. It, it's, it's a little surreal because like now, like I'm older than my father was when he retired. So he retired, he was around 51, 52, and I'm 54. I've got more time in the company than he had, although it's different times, but still um, I'm starting my 20th year there in October. You kind of like got to sit back and look at what your responsibility is. You know, I, I've always said the fire department has this lineage where generations are connected by generations. You know, like if I look at my dad's generation, like the seventies and eighties, they broke in the generation of the late eighties and nineties. So like Danny Murphy, who I brought up earlier, was a fireman and rescue too. He got broken in by those guys, you know, and he's learned, he's passing on lessons that they taught him. And then Murphy's passing those lessons on to us. And then through that continuum, things that we've learned as a result of operations, we pass on. So like, it's, it's like this, it's almost like a really good firehouse is like a cave drawing where you have stuff grown on the walls. And it's like, you don't forget it. It's like passed down. And we, we had some people come by recently to do something. They asked questions, you know, there's a lot of history in the firehouse and you can just see it. You can see it on the walls, right? You can see it everywhere. It's very obvious. My thing is that the really important stuff in the firehouse is the stuff you can't see. It's like the spirit and the soul of the firehouse that the members feel. Hold on one second. Hey, get out of here. Actually, my dogs are Bergen and Sterling. <laughs> and they're kind of fighting. So uh, I, I always like, as I walk up the wall and I see the pictures from the 70s and 80s, I know that I know who those guys were because I've always heard their names. Right. You know, like, it means something to me, you know? Even if I didn't have a relationship with them, it's just like the history of the company or the lineage of the company is just really important to me. And I, as it should be for everybody, like no matter what firehouse you're in, you should feel that pride. I, I think I work in a very special place. Now, people out there can listen and hear that and maybe be insecure about it. But I would say that everybody should say they work in a special place. Like the best place is the place you're at, you know, and you've got to make it. You have to contribute to that. Like in probate school, the best firehouse is the one you work in. You know, that's they always drill into your head. It's it's weird that now that I'm I'm, I'm an old guy because you never really think you're that old guy in your mind you still think you're younger, you know. But um, I I love working with the guys I work with. I'm very fortunate from Captain Flaherty for, to the bosses to firemen. It's just a great place, man. Uh, it's always been, and I'm um, just trying to do my part, like you do your small part to to just uh, pass it on and keep it going, you know. Uh, and when you have like a, a house or a, a whole company that's on that mission, it, it elevates the whole place. You touched on it earlier, but what are the benefits of being on this side of the multi-generational environment, you know, being one of the older members of the firehouse? When you get, when you get to this point, man, it's like, I'm going to say this in a very, very humble way. What you've put into it, you're going to get out of it. If you've done your career right, the guys know that, you know, and, and they'll respect that. In my career, I've always looked up to the guys that pretty much had two things. One, that had time and experience, and two, they could still do it. Like, I've always looked up to a guy that can tell you what you have to do, and then on the next run, can do it with you. 
Like to me, that's important. Like you're not sitting back, resting on your laurels from something you did 20 years ago or 15 years ago to someone that's just itching to do something right now. You know, that's what I've always aspired. That's I've been very fortunate in my career that I've worked with guys like that. And they've kind of showed me how to do it through their leadership and example. And I just hope that in, you know, the last part of my career that, uh, that I can like make those guys proud and, and, and carry on what they carry on. You know, everyone has their turn in the bow where you got to like keep that continuum moving forward. It, it's an important thing. It's part of the culture of the fire department is to really break people in the right way, teach them what they need to know, be open to what you're, the environment that you find yourself working in now, you know, and open to new challenges and somehow keep it and moving forward. Did you think a lot about this stage of your career as a young firefighter? And if so, how does it compare to what you thought? Not really, because I was always caught up with what I was doing. You know, like there's a lot of uh, significant events and throughout my career that took a lot of uh, attention. So that was more being like kind of in the moment, you know, it was never like something I aspired to. I can't wait to I'm the senior guy in the company. Like that wasn't ever an issue. And I've, especially in rescue too, I've, I've never considered myself above anybody that like, I just have so much confidence and faith in the guys I work with that they're, they're equals. I'm not above them, you know, just because I'm there longer than them. That doesn't guarantee you anything. I've seen guys come in and they've been a year, been there a year or two and done phenomenal things at jobs. You know, things that you step back and you're like, that's a great move, you know? So it's not like uh, you sit back and it's like, you know, all hell me, I'm, I got more time than you. I just hope that, and you'll hear guys say this all the time, is that you don't want to let them down. Like Dwayne Wood is a guy I worked with and currently he's on his way out. He had an injury that's not going to let him come back. And if Danny Murphy was the epitome of an officer in Rescue 2, and to me, Dwayne Wood is the epitome of what a rescue firefighter should be. Uh, just tough as nails. He was either a hammer or a sledgehammer. There's no in between with him. Like, just enthusiastic, always working to keep himself in, in physically fit to do the job. Like, at 62, nobody's carrying him, you know? And as you get older, that's impossible for that to not creep into your mind. Like, can I hang with these guys still? You know, like, can I still hang and do the job with them? You know, like, I think any normal person, it's a normal thought process, you know, and that's what goes into eventually thinking that you need to retire is that if you don't deserve to be there, you know, uh, and that's a tough decision. And that's a discussion on itself, you know, like to realize that you're going to like, if, if you're going to get hurt, then that decision is made for you. But if you have to go out on your own terms and you have to make the decision that, all right, on this day, I'm taking my helmet off the rig and I'm never getting back on. And, you know, you've done something for three decades. It's it's not an easy decision to make, you know. Once you leave there, you, you're never going to have that experience again. Like, you can meet people in the street and you can become friends with them, right? And you never go through a challenging thing. So you really don't know what they're made of. You really haven't seen them under stress. The guys, the relationships I have at work, and this is for anybody in these fields, you have to go through shit together. You've got to get challenged and pushed and be afraid or or you have to overcome obstacles. And whether your personalities get along 100% all the time, you've gone through that together and there's a trust that doesn't even have to be spoken. And there is no other environment where you can have that again. Like once you leave this arena or once you leave this occupation and there are other occupations like it, you don't have the opportunity to be stress tested like that, you know, and like to really, you know, like forged, like metal being forged and strengthened. Uh, uh, you know, you know, you just don't see that again. So it's a tough thing to want to say you're going to walk away from that, you know. But given where you are in your career, and by the way, what you just shared was super powerful and inspiring. What approach or philosophy do you live by in terms of engaging members of the company, both up and down the chain of command? I think it would be great to also include whatever advice you have about that, because what you just shared was so motivating. Again, it's awkward talking about this because inevitably someone's going to hear it in a firehouse and there's going to be a soundbite or 
something's going to be taken out of tech. So my bowl's broken, which is part of being in the firehouse. But to me personally, I think there's got to be a level of respect at all times. You, you got to respect the guys you wear. You know, if you have that level of respect, uh, you'll get it back. Right. That's one thing. You know, you, you can't fake being good. If you're going to be good, you're going to have to put the time in to be good. And, and the one thing I love about my company is it sniffs out the phonies right away. You know, like you don't have a chance. Going back to that respect is as, as a senior guy now, if I'm trying to, if I structure a drill and a guy wants to input it, I, you got to let him input it. Like give him that respect. Like I don't have to dictate the whole drill. Like I can keep my mouth shut. And sometimes it's the hardest thing for people to do is just to be quiet and let someone else talk. And, and, and then if it's, if it's something you agree with, you can agree with it. If you disagree with it, you can disagree with it and then let them know why. But, uh, I, I've always said this, that a company is good because of how they operate as a unit. And that's when you look at really elite companies, they're not the, always the best individuals, you know, like if you walk into the door of rescue two, you came from somewhere. Right. You don't, you don't come in there with an S on your shirt, you know, like you're not Superman. So what's going to make us good is how good we can operate. Six of us operate as one. And no matter what arena you're in or what occupation, if you can get a unit really performing well together, nothing's beating that, you know? And uh, that's something I stress that we've got to work together as a unit. And to do that, you've got to allow guys who are there, maybe not as long as you, to, to, to start to become leaders. You know, they, they, you got to let them take charge sometimes. You know, as long as they're doing the right thing, you got to empower them. Because, uh, again, it's like uh, the fight of problem. It's also like, uh, it's like a pride of lions. You know, at some point, the older lions get run off. And then the new lions have got to run the show. So uh, at some point, I'm not there anymore. You know, like all the guys I came with are kind of gone, but yet the company still is going to perform well. So you, you've got to allow growth of, of your members as long as they're doing it right. You know, one thing you can't cheat is experience. So like if you're a younger guy coming into this company, when I came to Rescue 2, I was young. I only had, I think around seven or eight years. But uh, so like your experience level is only a certain level. No matter how much you drill, no matter how how highly you think of yourself, you've got to get reps to get good. So um, when the younger members come, you know, you, you, you want to let them like grow as we're growing as a unit, growing through that experience so that by the time they've got five or six years under their belt, they're ready to take the reins. You know, they're ready to step up and be that middle management in the company. Like I'm against a new guy coming in and getting beaten down because first of all, they're a man. And second of all, it doesn't make them better. Like if, if the captain decides to bring someone into the company, it's the company's responsibility to make that person better. And then it's the captain's responsibility if they keep them or not. It's not ours. We can maybe expose something, but it's, it's the captain's ultimate responsibility. So uh, that's kind of my model, man. Like I want, to res I want respect. I want to try to do the right thing all the time. The guys will see that. And then the guys will, if, if I can do that as, with 27 years of the job, then they can do that with nine or 10. You know, it's no excuse. Thank you for sharing all that. As we wrap up, I wanted to ask a question about your personal life. The biggest change in your day-to-day -day life being that since we featured you in 2019, both of your kids are now in college attending George Mason University. So how does it feel to have two kids in college together? So it's pretty cool that they're both at the same school, right? So my kids like are, are very different. They're awesome kids but their personalities are different as they should be, right? And uh, my son James is a freshman. My daughter Anna is a senior and I love that his sister's there, but he's been there and he, and he stepped up, man. He he's, uh, hasn't really reached out to her and he's, he's doing really well. I love that they're together. And like I told him, man, I got this from a guy, Eddie Morrison, I worked with, who I had a lot of respect for. His boys went to his school and he said, when he went there, he told his oldest boy, he goes, you can be your little brother's hero or villain right now just how you treat him at school. And I said that to Anna, Anna, you can be your brother, 
He'll look at you for the rest of your life as a, as a hero. You just be a good baby, which I don't have to worry about. I know she's going to do that. But um, it's cool. It's like they walk out the door and they're on their own. And it's like all that time you put in with them, it's in there. And hopefully it's it's enough of a foundation that it, you know, they're on the right course for the rest of their life. Like you see the stat, like I think it's like by the time your kid's 11 or 12, you've spent like 80% of your time with them in their lifetime. And that's like blew me away when I heard it. I'm like, no fucking way. Uh, but when you start doing the math, it is. And now they're both gone. You know, I don't see them. You know, he's down there. His sister and him work in the same little recreation facility. Uh, he does jujitsu down there in a club. Uh, they have a club team. He's, he's practiced that up here. He's got the gym. He's got a cybersecurity major. So he's busy. And I'm glad because he got screwed in high school. Like his peers spent so much time in a damn bedroom on the computer. I'm glad he's out there doing it, you know? And, uh, you know, me and Karen, we have the two dogs, so they keep us occupied, but we get along very well. So it's like, we miss them, but I'm enjoying the time with my wife too. You know, it's like, it's, it's like the best of the both, best of both worlds, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's all good, man. I love that you approached empty nesting by getting two puppies. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like, you know, I hey, you, you gotta have something to focus on. You gotta have something to focus on. You know, it just it's good for the brain, man. With my dogs, like we didn't get into the daily routine, but they they're a part of our daily routine. Like you know it. Yeah. We do three, we do three to four or five miles a day with them. You know, early morning sunlight, we're out flow lakes, you know, two or three walks a day. And like if I run three miles or I walk three miles, I mean sure the running's got my heart rate a little higher. But I still move three months, you know, as opposed to just sitting around doing nothing, you know. So they are on that journey with us, you know, at, in a part of our routine. So it's it's all good. My screen is blurred, but that little fuzzball behind me moving is my dog. Get down, Merlin. <laughs> he woke up from his nap. <laughs> He's ready to go for his walk. <laughs> yeah, they're the best dogs. I mean, they, they unconditionally love you. So it's like the best thing, man. Yeah, he fundamentally changed me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like I just ran to someone I know. He's an older guy. His oldest kids are out. And he's like, I don't know what it is, man, but I got a special relationship with my dog. I'm like, I get it, man. I mean, last December, we had to put our dog down. I'm sorry. She got her for 14 years. No, it's, we had her for 14 years. And I had two Decembers ago. And that was brutal, man. We got her when the kids were babies. Like, they were like three and one. Like, yeah. they grew up with her. You, you, you love them so much because they give you so much. They just improve your life. They add to your life so much. Like Danny Murphy, like I remember I had a previous dog years ago, got hit by a car and uh, I went and told Murph, I'm like, Murph, man, I don't cry about a lot of things, but I cried. And, and he had just had a point. He's done like, he's this big, big, tough guy. And it's like, they melt you, you know? So. Yeah, I think we can bring it full circle with this conversation because my dog, Every day I have to make sure it's the best day that he lives because one day is like one week in dog years. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you say that. There's so many posts about that. Like, dog wants to go to bed, let it in a bed. Like, it's an adventure every day. They don't have as many days as we do, you know, but it's great, man. Yeah. But it keeps me focused on all the things we talked about those routines, focusing on longevity and having the best life possible for not just myself, but for all my loved ones around me, just trying to have that best influence. Yeah, on them. I agree, 100%. Do you want to do a rapid fire real quick? Sure. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions and I'm just looking for quick answers. Are you ready to go? Yeah. What is the most informative book you've read? Um, it's going to be a weird one, but it's, I, I, it was about a wide receiver for New England Patriots, Daryl Stanley, he got paralyzed. My father had bought it for me. Uh, he got paralyzed by a uh, hit by Jack Tatum from the Oakland Raiders. That's how I was happy to be alive. Uh, I was young when I read it, and it was just about the importance of life and appreciating it. Okay, adding that to the queue. What is your favorite podcast? I, I don't have a favorite. I mean, Cross Leash on the Fire is up there, yeah. but... There's two people I like. I like, obviously, Joe Rogan and Sean Ryan. Okay. And, uh, I'll tell you why. 
Joe Rogan's got a lot of really famous people on it, and he has so many different people on it. You're gonna like. I just the one about with Hulk Hogan, Sean Ryan, and I like because he takes people like you guys take, like just normal people that did normal jobs and did under really bad circumstances, and talk about that. Like they're not authors, they're not stars, you know. And I just like that, just the, the true life uh, story, you know. Speaking of your favorite inspiring movie or TV show. All right. So I was a wrestler. So vision quest. <laughs> I got it. I don't know. man. I'm not judging you. <laughs> It'd be vision quest or Rocky. One of the eight of them. <laughs> and what is your go-to mantra or quote? Just kind of like never quit, man. Ups, downs, just. You're not going to be perfect. You always have tomorrow. Don't quit. Like you can have five bad days in a row. It's the sixth day that might change you. I've always thought like if, you know, you're a kid, you're dreaming like, ah, if I'm ever Olympic champion, like that'd be my thing. Never quit. You know, not because Nike just come out with just do it. And it's like, yeah, never quit's going to be mine. All right. I like it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your knowledge and experience on the show again. I'm really excited to see what the future holds. It's a pleasure being here, Patty. I appreciate it. The Leadership Under Fire podcast provides a platform that helps to prepare performance leaders to navigate the moral, mental, emotional, intellectual, and physical rigors in high-risk and ultra-competitive settings by developing strength of mind, body, character, and critical thought. For more on this, visit leadershipunderfire.com.